From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The 87th Texas Legislative Session has been overshadowed, and rightfully so, by the coronavirus pandemic and the winter storm that caused millions in the state to lose power and caused water issues, in some cases for weeks. As the legislature sorts through the energy crisis, it starts to turn its focus to other priorities too, including redistricting, the state budget, and police reform. This week, Vince Sims is in for Julie Fine. He and Gromer Jeffers will talk to State Senator Royce West, a Democrat from Dallas, Bob Garrett, the Austin Bureau Chief for the Dallas Morning News, and we won't turn fully away from COVID-19. We'll hear from Daryl Willis, the Public Information Officer for Collin County Healthcare Services. The trial is underway for the former Minneapolis police officer charged with third-degree murder in the death of George Floyd. As that trial continues, lawmakers across the country have filed bills aimed at police reform. On March 3rd, the U.S. House passed the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. It is now in the hands of the Senate. At the state level, Senator Royce West is one of the authors of the George Floyd Act in Texas. West has served the state's 23rd district since 1993. The district covers about a third of Dallas County, including downtown Dallas and all of DeSoto and Duncanville. Here's West with Vincent Gromer. Thank you so much for being with us, Senator. My pleasure. My pleasure, Vince. Vince, Gromer, and myself. Hmm. (laughs) Yes, sir. We got a good thing going this morning. All right. Let's just jump right into this and ask you, what does the bill do, your bill do, to reform police justice? What what it does is, number one, we we ban chokeholds. We have a a duty for other officers to intervene. We deal with this uh, escalation training. And, And also with this particular bill, we have another bill that deals with having the agency responsible for licensing police officers to come up with a standard policy concerning the use of deadly force. Uh, we also have in a qualified immunity, uh, dealing with doing away with qualified immunity, which will be uh, obviously uh, will be a big uh, fight on the, on the floor of the Senate and otherwise in negotiations. And so we have what we believe are accountability measures. What I did is uh, read filed by bill and named it the George Floyd Law Enforcement Accountability Act. And so we're now trying to bring people together from the governor's office to the different police unions and advocacy groups to figure out exactly what we can agree on so we can at least have substantive changes. Let me tell you this, there's an issue with some of my Republican colleagues about whether or not they can support a bill named after George Floyd. You know, Senator, these issues were top of mind over the summer, but a recent poll by the Dallas Morning News revealed that, that, that Texans aren't necessarily thinking about social justice issues uh, when you ask them about what's important to them uh, in the legislature today. So how do you get Republicans and others who may be on the fence to join you right now? Well, I, I think that I'm going to uh, hopefully the gov- we use the governor's bully pulpit. I've had the opportunity for the last couple of weeks to visit with the governor about Polish reform and then visit with his staff, uh, his his, his management staff last week about Polish reform. And we agree on a lot. We agree on a lot. He was not concerned, at least no no concern was expressed to me concerning the naming of a bill after George Floyd. You've got to remember that the governor visited with the Floyd family uh, before we uh, celebrated the transition of his life. And so I'm hoping that using the bully pulpit of the governor and then trying to understand why my colleagues don't want to have a bill named after George Floyd, 
uh, that they will vote on and then try to address those issues that we get something done. But I do know that we will end up having some form of uh, changes in the state of Texas. And you expect police to, to, to fight this or, or, or support it with you? Surprisingly, surprisingly, uh, visiting with a lot of the different police agencies, the chiefs of police, the sheriffs, many of them agree on some of the items that we have in the George Floyd bill. They don't agree on 100 percent. And you know how legislature is. Uh, the fact is that we won't get agreement on 100 percent. But what I want to do is to make certain we get critical, we get agreement on as many critical uh, issues as possible so we can get it over the goal line. Senator, uh, kind of a different police question here, but a uh, Dallas police officer now charged with two capital murders and he's been fired. But there was a lot of concern about him remaining on the force after being named a person of interest. Uh, your thoughts and reaction on that? Well, you know, you've got to remember, I'm a lawyer. All right. And just because a person is a quote unquote person of interest before you can arrest someone, you've got to have probable cause. You know, we, as a public, we're too quick to judge someone just because, quote unquote, they've been indicted, okay? That means that they, that, that a few, some of the people in the community think there's probable cause. That's a long way away from someone being found guilty. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, I know it's just a person of interest, but when you're talking about a, a law enforcement officer who's on the badge, even if that question is raised, do you think they should still be out in the field doing their job? I think that it kind of depends upon the chief of police, uh, frankly, in terms of, uh, in, in this instance, you have two capital murders, and I don't know whether or not they had him on the constant su surveillance after he became, quote, unquote, a person of interest. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to make certain that you give whomever is responsible of supervisory capacity the uh, discretion to deal with that particular issue. But as a general rule, just because a person is a, quote, unquote, person of interest, I don't want to turn around and sit up and say they should be stripped of their job or the, the, until there's reason to believe that there's probable cause to suspect that someone has committed a crime. All right, Senator, let's switch to a, a big issue facing Texas. You are in the room for discussions about the winter storm that left millions of Texans without water and without power. What kind of changes can we expect to assure that it never happens again? To assure that it never happens again? Yeah, where well, you have. Let's put it. Let's put it this way, Grandma. Yeah. Uh, I thought we had done that after 2011, but apparently it was never implemented as it was anticipated that it would be, so it would never happen again. And so, what we've got to do this time around is to make certain number one that taxpayers, ratepayers, aren't left holding the bag in terms of increasing in rates, and we've got to understand and appreciate. Who will ultimately pay the bill? And I'm going to tell, I'll tell people that are listening now that there will be some rate increases as a result of this. But to have a $16 billion error, uh, the question becomes uh, who's making out like a fat rat, fat cat in this deal? And we've got to make certain that we reduce that profit so it doesn't end up hurting uh, consumers. And so the legislature has got to make certain that we're not there for industry but we're there for taxpayers and do our job to protect the taxpayers and do our best to make certain this doesn't happen again. All right, Senator, as our time is about to wrap up, I want to get one last comment from you on your reaction to the voter integrity bills being filed in Texas and throughout the country that critics say are aimed at disenfranchising voters. Well, you, you just, Vince, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it's all about. You know, we, we have redistricting coming up also. And when you begin to look at the increase of population here in the state of Texas, 
you're beginning to see more people that are Hispanic, African-American, that tend to vote Democratic. And so you've got a lot of Republican districts that are losing population. And each district, senatorial district and congressional districts are going to have to pick up population. And so the question is, is where will those rural districts attempt to pick up population? In the inner cities, which are bluer now than they have been in the past. And so you know that these integrity bills that are being filed is a, is a uh, I guess you could say, a device in order to stop and oppress the vote uh, African-American, the Latino, and the Democratic vote. Think about some of the bills. There's one in, 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 in reducing the number of dates that you can go through early voting, mm -hmm. okay? Those types of things. Uh, uh, we should be expanding the opportunities to vote, but what we're doing, we're seeing my Republican friends put laws, attempt to put laws on the books that will appease Donald Trump as we move into the 2022 elections, and we've got to do everything we can in order to stop that. All right. State Senator Royce West, we want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. I, I, I really appreciate being on this history-making show. Yes, sir. You're always welcome. Remember, Royce, uh, Senator, I mean, you were the first guest on Lone Star Politics. That's the right. First That's ever. exactly right. So you're always That's making exactly. history here. We're always making history together. I appreciate that. In addition to the George Floyd Act, thousands of other bills have been filed in the state legislature. The filing deadline was Friday. In addition to the pandemic and the winter storm, priorities this session include passing a state budget and redistricting. In recent weeks, we've highlighted other North Texas lawmakers and specific bills they've filed. To hear interviews with state reps Jared Patterson, Jessica Gonzalez, and Michelle Beckley, take a listen to a few past podcasts starting January 10th. To break down all the other goings-on at the state capitol, Here's Dallas Morning News Austin Bureau Chief Bob Garrett. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Vince. Yes, sir, Bob. Let's start right with which bills right now are standing out to you? You know, the entire package dealing with this weather storm has gotten the uh, two of the top three berths in the Senate under Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Those uh, would be Senate Bills 2 and 3, ERCOT reform, the grid, uh, stability bills right below the state budget, which is SB1. So, Bob, will there be major changes uh, in the Texas uh, uh, electricity delivery system and, and fortifying the grid? Or are these just bold statements and, and once everybody forgets about the storm, it'll be, you know, it'll just be talk? What do you think? You know, Gromer, I think it would require a pretty big fig leaf uh, for all of the leadership in, at the state capitol get, to get behind and do very little. Uh, the problem they have is they went for a deregulated system 21 years ago, broke up these big TXU-type utilities, and now you can't really put them together again, so you're stuck with this market and how to sort of fiddle around the edges and make it work better. One of the big questions I'm really interested in is how do you get these electricity generators to weatherize these plants uh, when they're not necessarily reimbursed for it because it's not a regulated monopoly utility rate system. So they're talking about using some state money, maybe some low interest loans, some of the Biden COVID-19 relief money. We're going to be watching that plus a whole bunch more. Uh, you can be sure they will pass something, Gromer. Yeah, and they will pass something. Do you think the Republican leadership in this state, you think they're worried about this issue? They worried that the, the Texans are so mad 
that that maybe they'll do something to turn them out of office in, in 2022? I think they are concerned about it. Uh, you saw after Beto O'Rourke's near defeat of Ted Cruz that they came back in session last time and did some stuff on school finance and property taxes and stopped sort of fighting the culture wars as much as they had been. And so I think this is a, a bread and butter govern, can you govern issue, and it's a real test for their leadership. As we talk about leadership this week, Governor Abbott, he reopened the state to 100 percent and he lifted the all statewide mandates for the mask. Do you think this was a wise decision and why do you believe that he did it now? Vince, I think from what I'm hearing, he was wanting to do it even before the winter storm and just got delayed. He had been sending signals, you know, no more mandates and we're going to look at everything. Uh, I think he is a good a reader of the popular pulse and that uh, Texans are tired after a year of uh, being hunkered down and having these restrictions, tired of these masks. But the question really is, did he, you know, do it too soon? And are we going to pay and have, you know, surges later on with these variants of the COVID-19? I don't know the answer to that. I know that uh, Abbott was eager to get out front. And uh, as Gromer has pointed out in columns, you know, he wouldn't have gotten any credit if he had waited till April to lift the mass mandate. And now he, he, he will stand out as one of these Republican governors who's kind of raising their hand, like, look at me for 2024 presidential nomination. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. He certainly has critics in his own party and outside his party. And Bob, there still may be some Texas on the fence about getting the, the vaccine. How's the rollout going, vaccine rollout going in Texas? When do you see most Texans getting vaccin vaccinated? A few months, a few weeks? What do you think? I think it'll be a few months, not weeks. I think uh, <laughs> Texas, is its statewide average is behind many other states of how many people have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine, how many people have been fully vaccinated. Uh, Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick are very proud of the approach they've taken, which has been different. You know, the, the CDC recommendations by now would have moved essential workers up into the cat, top priority category. We have not done that in Texas. We've done it on an age basis for the oldest cohorts first. Uh, there's some mixed evidence about that, but uh, that's what we're doing. We're going by age mostly. and you'll see a flood of vaccine coming in and then we'll have the problem of it, you know, going to waste and, and not enough people taking it. Uh, but it's a good problem to have down the road. Right now we've had too few doses. Exactly. All right. Before we wrap up with you, want to get your take on um, Matthew McConaughey. Word is around now that he's talking about he might throw his hat in for a governor run. What do you think about that? You know, he's flirting with it for sure, Vince. And uh, who knows? The the. Who knows what he would, he's kind of criticized both parties, and that would be smart, trying to run in a kind of red state like Texas, if he's going to run as a Democrat, or if he's going to follow Kinky Friedman and kind of run as an independent. We don't know, but uh, he's, he's definitely distanced himself from uh, the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party. I'm not sure he can sort of shed the Hollywood guy <laughs> label, but... All of us in Austin and UT football fans know that he's had a lot of games. Uh, so he's not really easy to categorize as a Hollywood liberal. Uh, so I, it'll be an interesting thing to see if he wants to make a, a go of this. 
I agree with you there because he is Texas, but he is Hollywood. You, you know, it, it's not Texas, Bob and Vince. If every now and then you don't have an out-of-the-box celebrity candidate running for governor. Very true. Candy. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Bob Garrett, thank you so much for joining us. Check in with reporting from Bob, Gromer, and the rest of the Morning News political team at DallasNews.com. Finally, we turn to the pandemic in North Texas, specifically in Collin County. Like in most parts of the state, the county has seen a large drop in the average number of new COVID-19 cases each day. The county judge recently rescinded his disaster declaration, and Governor Greg Abbott's limits on business capacity and his mask mandate were both lifted last week. Collin County Healthcare Services Public Information Officer Daryl Willis joins Vince and Gromer to talk about the county's vaccine rollout and what the health department is keeping its eye on in the coming weeks. Daryl Willis, Public Information Officer for Collin County Healthcare Services. Thank you for being on the Lone Star Politics podcast. And we have another special guest too. Joining me, Vince Sims, the one and only. So thanks for being here, Vince. Hey there. All right. Hey, thanks for having me join in this time. All right. Hey, uh, bring us up to date with the, the vaccine situation in Collin County. I know you had to tap the wait list or I, I guess sort of not add to it. What's the situation like? Do you have enough vaccine? How, things, how are things going? Yeah, so it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't that we didn't have an, enough vaccines. We wanted to, I guess, uh, not have, you know, we didn't want to have people's expectations get, you know, uh, too inflated on what could be done and what we were doing. Um, so we decided to, at the time, you know, put a, put a, a pause on the uh, wait list. Now we've, uh, since our, our, the Collin County leadership has decided to uh, move away from the wait list, um, and as, as officially uh, this morning, uh, we went to the registration system where individuals can sign up on a first-come, first-served basis with, uh, with uh, vaccine providers in Collin County. Uh, and so uh, that process started at 10 a.m., uh, and I believe we have roughly about 9,000 uh, available spots uh, every Friday. And so once those are filled, they're filled for that week. And then we'll post again 10 a.m. the following Friday and, and people will have another chance to uh, sign up. Uh, so far, things have gone pretty smoothly uh, for the first day. Now, you know, the president's saying he would like to have all Americans eligible by May 1st. Is that going to change anything for Collin County and what you're doing as far as eligibility and people who can sign up? As of right now, uh, no, we're still following the DSHS uh, guidelines. So uh, the 1A, 1B, 1C, uh, though none of those groups have like a specific uh, priority. We're, we're vaccinating, you know, in the order that they, they sign up, they register for their spot, but we're, no, no group has a priority over another. And then uh, as of right now, uh, people that are outside of those groups aren't able to sign up, but that's that's a, you know, because we're following the guidelines by DSHS. So what about the person who's not computer savvy, um, mm -hmm. not really on top of it to, to sort of get in there in a mix on a, on, on a Friday and, 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 and get in there and fight for a spot? How does that person get vaccinated? I would say you don't have to be you know, super computer savvy. It's not. It's not fighting for like a hundred spots, nine thousand spots. I know. Right. It. It's. It's. It's a. I know. Relatively speaking, for a county that has over a million residents, is is a small number. But you know, we we there have been quite a few vaccinations that have taken place so far, uh, and there was still, 
I checked, I guess, about an hour ago. There were still spots available even now uh, this afternoon. Um, and when I was going through the process just to see what it was looking like, uh, it said your wait time, because it puts you in a, a virtual line. Right. Um, and it said there was 2,700 some odd people in front of me. And, but that there were still spots available. So if it was, if there wasn't any, like it, people are still gonna have their opportunity. It, it may take another, another chance, another week, but I, even if you're not the most computer savvy, uh, I think it's something that, that people will be able to sign up for and, and you know, be able to break through. I, I think people will be able to get their vaccinations. Daryl, let me ask you, I know we've seen with some other areas where there's issues with um, no shows or people, you know, making these reservations, not showing up. Have you seen any issues like that in Collin County? Yeah, to an extent. Um, the, the percentage kind of changes uh, day by day, week by week, but there's definitely been, um, you know, so, some no shows because people have, have found other options because the, the vaccines are becoming more uh, widespread. And honestly, I, I believe that was part of the reason why uh, the 275,000 plus list that we had, that that back half, especially the last like 75,000 or so, that's the reason why we were able to, to clear that hurdle pretty quickly. And what do you want to say to people about the importance of, if you find a vaccine elsewhere, removing your name off of the other list so the people who are waiting and still need that first one can get in there? So right now, because we've moved away from the, the wait list situation, um, so it's not, that would definitely be, I guess, an issue prior to, we did have people contacting us saying, hey, uh, you know, you can take me off the list. But I mean, it, it was one of those situations where if if we sent them the, the email saying, hey, you're eligible to sign up and they just didn't sign up, it was really kind of, other than the man effort to to get the, the email sent out, it's really, it didn't really clog up the process any. What do you say to folks who are still on the fence about getting vac vaccinated? For whatever reason. Well, I mean, we're we're definitely uh, following, you know, CDC guidelines and DSHS guidelines. Uh, you know, they're encouraging it because uh, once we get to you know a certain level of the population vaccinated, you know, we're we're hoping that even those who have not been vaccinated will will at least feel some of that protection because most individuals will have you know at least some level of protection from the virus. All right, Daryl Willis. Thanks a lot for joining us on the Lone Star Politics Podcast. Hope you have a, a great rest of the day and please come back uh, soon. Keep us yeah, up. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And Vince, it's been a pleasure, yes, my friend. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Before we go, you can do us a big favor by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the Lone Star Politics Podcast wherever you get your audio content. Thanks to State Senator Royce West, Bob Garrett, and Daryl Willis for joining us this week. Stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.